Hi, everybody. Welcome to the December 7th, 2018 edition of Colorado Inside Out. I'm your host, Dominic Zutti. Thank you very much for joining us. Let's get a quick take on the Colorado Supreme Court refusing to answer the question submitted by Governor John Hickenlooper regarding the conflict between the Gallagher and Taxpayer Bill of Rights amendments. Pat Cahoon from Westward, this was seen as a political Hail Mary anyway, so I guess it's not much of a surprise they said no, but is this basically the last big political move we're going to see from the Hickenlooper administration? Oh, I don't think so. I think we'll still see some more. It's just too bad that he waited 20, well, he wasn't in office 25 years, but we've had this conflict for more than 25 years, and all of a sudden it goes to the Supreme Court. It's going to have to be something that is dealt with by the legislature and ultimately probably by voters. David Copel from the Independence Institute and DU Law School. Uh, it seems like he was trying to give a present to Governor-elect Polis of saying at least we tried to tackle this before he left after eight years of being able to do so, but we'll, we'll forget that part. Does it now become an entirely different uh, story in the Polis administration? Well, I think it's the same story there's always been. The Colorado voters enacted the Gallagher Amendment in the 1980s, which sets limits on the ratio between property per, uh, residential property taxes versus business property taxes. And then uh, they also later enacted the Colorado Taxpayers' Bill of Rights, which, puts, which doesn't affect the Gallagher Amendment, but does put other limits on uh, government tax increases without voter permission. And, yes, there, there is an interplay between the two. The interplay has been going on for a quarter century, Lots of people don't like how the interplay works, but it's a fairly straightforward and understandable thing. And, of course, under the Taxpayers' Bill of Rights, jurisdictions that want to increase their taxes for whatever reason, like fire districts, can always go to the voters and get permission to do so, as, as many districts of all kinds, including fire districts, which are sort of the issue that the governor raised here, can do. So the legislature, the Supreme Court was right to say, Yes, we can answer questions of, of great importance when the governor asks us, but we're not going to answer stupid and rhetorical questions um, like, does the governor say, did the, did the taxpayer's Bill of Rights implicitly repeal parts of the Gallagher Amendment? Well, that's, that's quite a thing to discover 25 years after the taxpayer's Bill of Rights has been on the books. Is, oh, we just found this implication in it that nobody noticed for a quarter century. <laughs> Eric Sondran, political analyst. Uh, does, Gall does the Gallagher Amendment become the new focus here? I mean, Tabor has been focused for 25 years now, but it feels like with that past conference we talked about a few weeks back that the Gallagher Amendment uh, is not easy pickings, but maybe easier pickings. I don't know. What do you think? Yeah, the whole, to quote uh, Governor Hickenlooper, fiscal thicket or Gordian knot or whatever you want to call it, I don't know how you untangle it, but Gallagher might be the first step in untangling it. I think it was predictable. I, I, I said so on the show a week ago that the Supreme Court would not take these interrogatories. There was really no incentive for them to do so. Uh, they like to hear live cases with real, you know, real disputes as opposed to, to quote David, hypothetical disputes. Uh, so I was not surprised at the decision. Clearly, uh, Governor-elect Polis sent a signal this week that this is going to be a priority in terms of his appointment of Kerry Kennedy, former state treasurer, former opponent of Jared Polis in the primary. I forget her title, but director of fiscal policy or senior advisor for fiscal policy or something like that. This has been Kerry's mission in life, the whole Tabor and related issue 
for many, many years, and you only bring somebody like Kerry Kennedy aboard, aboard if you intend uh, some bold action in this regard. Joey Bunch, Deputy Managing Editor at Colorado Politics. You're one of our guys on the Hill. You know what the legislators are thinking. What do they think about this Hail Mary from Hickenlooper, and what do they think now that it's been, uh, you know, uh, what do you think? knock it down, that Hail Mary was knocked down, now what? Well, you know, it depends on whether they have a D or an R behind their name. You know, this was never really a question for the courts, in my mind. This is a question of taxation and politics, and that's not what, I mean, more and more in this country, that's what the courts do, but it wasn't what should be done in this case. I think that if we're going to solve this problem, we have to go to the voters. The voters enacted this. The voters should make the decision of whether to, uh, to undo it. Now, the Gallagher Amendment is easier pickings than Tabor because it, it has more unintended consequences, or at least what look like unintended consequences. But the value of Tabor and Gallagher is that, uh, you know, the voters spoke and it's up to politicians to listen. If there are problems with either one of them, then offer solutions. Don't, uh, don't offer criticism. And you're right about Kerry Kennedy. That was her plan to pay for education was to repeal Tabor. So if the Trump, uh, the Trump administration, the Polis administration couldn't be more different. But uh, if the Polis administration wants to take on that fight, I think the voters will uh, enjoy watching it. Should be enjoyable indeed. Denver Mayor Michael Hancock announced on Tuesday that he is working to vacate the sentences of thousands of low-level marijuana possession convictions. The city of Boulder is looking to do the same thing, making its announcement late last week. Petty, this seems, and the Westford did a fantastic job writing about this, a decision that could have been made not just yesterday, but for a variety of years beforehand. Uh, if viewers haven't had a chance to take a, a look at uh, Westward uh, and the article, tell us a little bit about of the timing of the situation. Well, it could have, the decision could have come down in December of 2012 after voters passed Amendment 64, which legalized the possession of recreational marijuana. And it's interesting that we waited now almost six, six years. And on top of it, Denver waited just a few days after Boulder laid out, DA uh, Dougherty, the new, new DA there, laid out a very complicated but expansive plan. That, and you don't have to apply. They're going to look for you. Because so many of the people who've been charged on these cases for minor possession, and it's also been really disproportionately affecting minority people or poor people who don't have lawyers who can go knock down those charges, which is what happened. So Denver's announcement is very similar in planning to what Boulder's going to do. The state of Colorado has also done a couple pardons for similar types of violations. But minor possession issues, it's great that they're going to clean them out. Let's hope they do it and take a proactive move rather than waiting for people to come to them. David, you're our lawyer at the table. Is are both Denver and Boulder on firm legal ground here to do what they're doing, that, that proposing to do? Yes, they are. And, and Doherty, the Boulder DA who initiated this, I think is a, is a very competent and, and respected uh, lawyer. Uh, I think, as Patty said, better, better late than never. Um, one suspects this has something to do with uh, election politics. I mean, as, as it could have been done in the Hancock administration's uh, first year. Um, and would have been better done then because that's when the people of Colorado expressed their view that marijuana uh, personal use uh, should not be a crime. Eric, let's dig into that. I think uh, David was reading my script because my question to you is going to be, uh, Boulder beat uh, Denver by a couple days in this one, but the timing still kind of feels like election year politics. Why do you think it took so long? Why are we hearing about this in late 2018 and even maybe even just a couple of years ago? 
Not sure I have a good answer for you. I suspect David's uh, cynicism is uh, well-placed <laughs> cynicism in the sense of uh, uh, that politics has something to do with it. I share his assessment of Michael Doherty, the new district attorney up in, uh, up in Boulder, very, very able guy, and um, he'll make sure this is done right. Uh, David said it, I'll repeat it, better late than never. Um, but it could have and should have been done some, some period ago. I'm probably not as enthusiastic as some others around this table about Amendment 64, and I still think the whole history of that experiment is to be written. But given that the changing mores around marijuana and marijuana policy, given the reality around it, this is a overdue step. And if it helps some people clear out records, so much the better. Joey, our collective cynicism notwithstanding, is there any hurdles to these ideas in Denver or Boulder? Well, I'm the king of cynicism on this issue <laughs> that I, I, you know, I see a lot of problems here that, you know, why, what makes marijuana so special? You know, the laws change all the time in our state. I see it every year at the legislature. You know, people have paid penalties for things that uh, have, have been changed later on in the law. Are we going to go back in time and give them their money back? Are we, you know, where does this end? I mean, I, I'm all for the fact that, that marijuana is legal now and it wasn't legal at the time that they committed these crimes. So, yes, I think it's absolutely political. You know, that the Hancock administration wants to raise taxes on marijuana, so this is a way to level the scales because this could have been done in, you know, when we legalized marijuana. It could have been done in 2005. Isn't that when the city voted to decriminalize marijuana? You know, why now? I, I have reasons to believe that it has to do with the election next May. Just might. The U.S. Attorney's Office in Denver, along with the DEA, issued a statement this week saying that the proposed safe injection sites in Denver would be illegal, and the letter likened the program to crack houses. David, a letter from the U.S. Attorney and the DA is not very common. What did you think about the statement they made? Well, they are legally correct that federal law prohibits things like this. And you say, well, federal law also prohibits, you know, retail marijuana stores, and they've been mostly leaving those alone as long as they operate within uh, Colorado's strict laws on the subject. Uh, part of the difference is a... United States uh, uh, Attorney General, you know, presumably William Barr coming up, um, or anyone else who acted against legal marijuana in states would inflict an enormous political price on the administration, whereas the price of going against safe injection is close to nil, because unlike marijuana users, it's not a real high turnout, uh, large class of, of voters. And, and the, the public opinion on this, I don't think, has changed uh, nearly as much as it has changed with marijuana. But I also think it's wrong. I mean, there, there are good pro and con arguments on the, the subject. But whatever, however one resolves those arguments, this is about something that's going to be going on in the city of Denver only by people within the city of Denver. You know, it's not going to be, we're not going to have people driving in from, from Laramie or Salt Lake City uh, to do it. So it's not really interstate. And that's properly a matter of, of state and local concern. And this is one of many, many, many examples of how federal criminal law, by a perverse and ridiculous interpretation of the interstate commerce power, uh, interferes way too much uh, in state and local affairs. Eric, do you think the announcement of this letter uh, motivates or deflates the uh, legislature to, make, to approve this plan, which is needed if Denver's to move forward with this pilot program? I put my money on motivate. You have 
this coming out of a Republican administration, not only a Republican administration, a Donald Trump administration. You have a Democratic uh, supermajority for most intents and purposes around the state capitol these days. very sort of libertarian-minded new governor coming into office who I would think would look favorably, even though he hasn't taken a position on on something like this, I would think they'd want to stick it to the feds and stick it to Donald Trump and and Donald Trump's people. At least that'd be my prediction. I agree with David's concept of federalism here. Uh, It strikes me that the federal government has enough on its plate these days without perhaps worrying about this issue, but yet it's an easy one for Trump and Trump's people without getting into the whole marijuana thing and the politics of that, which are becoming increasingly tricky as state after state moves in this direction. But here it's a way to to draw a line in the sand and um, easy politics for them. Lastly, I'll just be curious, given that the feds have gotten involved, what is uh, Senator Bennett, Senator Gardner, I assume at some point they get a microphone put in their face and ask this question. I'll be curious how they handle it. Joey, last year at the legislature, a bill that would have approved a program like this failed in Republican-controlled Senate. It was only controlled by one Republican, well, one vote. Now it's a Democratic Senate, but are the chances greatly increased of a bill going uh, and actually seeing the light of day and being passed this year? Yeah, I think it's a slam dunk. You know, the, uh, it, it nearly passed last year. It had bipartisan support. It was just bottled up in a committee in the uh, Republican-controlled Senate. And, you know, that's not the case anymore. The Democrats have a, a, a strong majority in the Senate that they can pass this, and then they'll pick up a few Republican votes. And that has to happen uh, for this Denver plan to go forward. And when that happens, it won't just be Denver. Any city that can demonstrate that they've got a program that's regulated by their local health department and it's, uh, you know, a nonprofit or some in- other entities that's doing it the right way, they can, they can follow suit. And let's keep in mind, Denver will be the first U.S. city to do this so that Trump administration does have a stake in this. And one thing we know about Donald Trump is he's a counterpuncher, and we're poking a bear. You know, if the Democrats send too strong a partisan signal to Donald Trump, he will push back, and he might push back on marijuana. So be careful what you wish for. Patty, what do you think? Do Democrats that now run all the levers of Colorado government, well, I say now, January, uh, do they want the fight? Would they actually enjoy the headlines of a uh, national fight with Trump administration? I think the ads are good that they would, especially because this letter was like waving a red flag at the city of Denver and at the legislature, which would have to pass the enabling legislation. It was also pretty close to incoherent. I mean, we don't get a lot of statements coming out of that office. And this was like a series of Donald Trump tweets all kind of tied together. So I think there will be response in the legislature. Excel Energy became the first major energy company in the nation this week to issue a promise to go carbon emissions free in the future. The company announced that it pledges to cut carbon emissions by 80% by 2030 and completely by 2050. Uh, Eric, anytime I see a promise that's going to happen 30 years from now, I'm a little dubious because you can can almost promise anything. Uh, I won't be taller by 2050, but anything else I can almost promise. What did you think when you saw this headline today, this week? I thought uh, interesting, uh, obviously a way to curry favor with Governor-elect Polis here, who has made this a major part of his platform. I think he promised it by 2040 in uh, the primary campaign, but everyone was trying to one-up each other with those promises back during the the primary. Uh, 
But I wasn't overwhelmed with it. It strikes me as an easy promise on two levels. One is, as you point out, Dominic, whether it's 2030 or 2050, these are way, way in the future. I mean, companies do five-year plans. I'm not aware that companies do 32-year plans. None of us sitting around this table know what technology, energy sector technology, or any kind of technology is going to look like uh, at that point in time. And, and secondly, it is relatively easy for Excel to make this promise when their return on investment is basically guaranteed. Uh, you know, they go to the PUC or whatever the regulatory body is in the state that they're operating, and, 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 and they get their return more or less guaranteed here. So the question is, is, is not can we do this, the question is at what cost and who is going to bear that cost. I have a feeling we're going to get the answer to that question pretty quickly. Uh, Joey, what, what do you, I guess uh, my instinct in seeing these headlines this week was this all sounds like rainbows and unicorns, but there's got to be a catch. I didn't go into it enough to find out where that catch is, but I'm still convinced there is one. What do you think? Well, I think the catch is going to be higher utility prices in the short term. Yeah, that's, um, yeah, this, Eric's absolutely right. He milked this cow so well that the, the you know, the, None of us are at this table are going to be here in, in well, Patty will be, you know, yes. in, uh, in 32 more years. You know, Patty is, I think after the apocalypse, we'll have cockroaches, Cher, and Patty, and, and Lynn Bartles will, will write the blog about it. So, you know, and I pushed, I pushed uh, Polis on, how are we going to get to this 100% renewable energy during the campaign? And he says it's a ground-up approach. And, well, you know, when it's a ground-up approach, you can always blame the ground if it doesn't happen. So, you know, I think it's a laudable goal. I think it reflects the politics of the moment. But in uh, five years, XL's not going to remember this. And they're going to say, oh, we're working on it. We're really going to kick it in those last four or five years before 2050. You know, the Sierra Club has gotten a lot of cities around the state to commit to 2030. So I don't know that any of us really know what the, 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 the year is or the timetable is. It's more about keeping it all moving in that direction and keeping it a popular talking point. And I think Excel, even though they operate in several states, they see where the politics of the moment are, and they are with, with Jared Polis on renewable energy. I think the Colorado Oil and Gas Association has a much different position on this, <laughs> and they have money and political might to, to sell that message. You know, if anyone ever wonders why uh, Joey's nickname around here is Ratings Gold, all they got to do is watch that last segment and realize exactly how he earned his nickname. Uh, Patty, since you'll be around to see how all this turns out, what do you think when you saw these uh, claims from Excel Energy? Well, with the cockroaches and share, and I'm not who, and sure Lynn. who I want, and Lynn. <laughs> who, yeah, Lynn and I will have some fun, but I'm a little worried about the cockroaches. Think back 32 years ago. So Denver was in the middle of the oil bust, and at the time we're thinking, oh, we're going to be also solar energy and will be in flying cars or the apocalypse would have come. So it's a very nice visual for um, Jared Polis. After the most recent climate change report, it's important that we remember that we still have problems here, but we'll see the cockroaches and I will see what's really happening in 2050. The cockroach overlords of 2050. Uh, David, uh, the cynical side of me saying is, you know, here's our plan for 2030 and 2050. Uh, the, the underscript there would have been uh, our promise to gouge customers to pay for said uh, rainbows and unicorns. But I'm hoping I'm just lobbying a softball to you. Your thoughts? Well, as Eric said, everything that Excel spends on wind or solar and infrastructure, they always make a profit on it because that's, that's built into the 
unfair monopoly uh, that they have currently been, been given by law. Global warming is certainly a problem that should be addressed, but I think this is more about crony capitalism, which is in practice indistinguishable from crony socialism, uh, about Excel finding more ways to put more money in its own pocket. Its duty as a public utility is to provide affordable energy and reliable energy. That's the opposite of this solar and wind stuff which they are planning on because the sun doesn't always shine and the weather, there's clouds in the way and the, the wind doesn't always blow. So you have to have backup sources and we know that this is going to jack up prices for energy which some people can afford but is really hard on low income people who spend a lot of money on you know, heating their, uh, their trailer home or, or uh, for electricity. If they were serious about tackling global warming and fulfilling their mandates to provide affordable and reliable energy, they would be going very strongly into nuclear power. But that's not politically correct. So instead, we are going to get failed approaches uh, that will raise prices and reduce reliability, but increase Excel dividends. Well, it is time to get to our very favorite part of the show, Disgrace the Week. As always, Ms. Cahoon, please start us off. Well... We were talking about small businesses and small property owners and the problems they're facing with the Gallagher Amendment. They are also, the small businesses, just overwhelmed by how they're going to cope with the new Colorado laws regarding um, charging taxes in different areas for the online sales. So good for the state for saying you've got till May 1. Bad that it's such a mess. So like 743 different tax rates around the, around the, the state. David. Well, uh, the Colorado Economic Development agency, the corporate welfare arm of the governor's office, gave out $10 million to Slack uh, to bribe it to come to Denver. Uh, Slack is an uh, internet company that's planning on an initial public offering in, 19, in 2019 that's by Fortune magazine says will be about $9 billion. We don't need to give our money to billionaires to convince them to come to Colorado. We shouldn't be subsidizing growth in Denver at all, and besides that, corporate welfare is illegal under the plain text of the Colorado Constitution. Eric. Well, a bit of a personal rant here. I'm not a spring chicken. I've been around a few years. I had the single worst customer service experience I could ever recall with our good friends at Comcast or Xfinity or whatever their brand of the moment is. Uh, I won't go into the details other than to say, as long as Comcast is around, Frontier Airlines, all the other air carriers, all the other telecom care, uh, companies, they're off the hook in terms of the worst customer service out there because Comcast wins that prize. That's saying something seen what I've seen from Frontier Airlines. That's a bold, bold <laughs> I, your, your social media posts that were absolutely fantastic. Joey. Well, this is the holidays and the season of hope, so this is a preemptive disgrace. You know, we have a whole slate of new legislators coming in, and inevitably there'll be a few who'll be insisting on being called Representative so-and-so and Senator so-and-so in all references. Yet I never hear them call anyone on their staff Mr. So-and-so, and they... They damn sure don't call me Mr. Bunch. And I think that's a bad message. And if they're coming in with that idea that they're any better than anybody else who walks through that front door, I think they've lost their mission as a public servant. And I hope they come in with the attitude of service to the public, not that they are somehow better than the rest of the public. Here, here, Mr. Bunch. Let's get to say something nice. Patty? I've got to guess they have a lot of names for Joey Bunch. And none of them, <laughs> and none of them, can, be, yeah, none of them can be said here. 
Uh, I'm going to say something nice about the Denver Public Library, which is an institution that has faced such challenges, economic challenges, the fact that books have been replaced by so many things, and the fact that they are dealing with the homeless population, and they just came out with a new policy that comes up January 1st. They're doing away with fines. That does not mean you can steal things and keep them forever. You will be billed for those, but overdue fines will be gone as of January 1. David. Uh, Dave Rice, who was the gym coach at Grayland, where, which I attended for 10 years, who just uh, passed away this week. And besides being a, a, a good gym coach, he was also the, the van driver on the way to school every morning. And one of the things he would do to pass the time was he would uh, start political arguments with me. And he, he was very pro-Nixon, and I was anti-Nixon. And the rest of the bus had to listen to us talk about it. But he really set a good example of, of being, you know, having his strong views of his own, and, and, but showing how to argue in a, a, a forceful but polite and, and nice kind of way. So I, uh, in retrospect, I, I learned from his example, even though he was wrong on the particulars about Nixon. Well, seeing how much uh, that your knowledge you shared with the Colorado community, uh, obviously Colorado has a lot to thank to uh, your same mentor. It's uh, sad to see him pass, but good to see his contribution. Eric. I can only imagine a political argument with a nine-year-old <laughs> David Copel. That's, a, that's, a, that's a, a, a fun vision to have. Uh, it's been said around this country and around this world over the last uh, week or so, but to uh, President Bush 41, George Herbert Walker Bush, uh, he could be a tough politician. Some of the images that were painted of him over the last week is always this high-minded guy. I remember the 1988 campaign and there was nothing terribly pretty about it. But that said, uh, he brought and his generation brought an honor and a commitment to service to this country, including his service long before he became president. Um, that, that generation is certainly now passing and will be missed. A presidential veteran and uh, armed forces saw actual battle veteran. Not, not easy to say nowadays. Joey. My friend Vic Vila, the wonderful voice of Colorado Public Radio, he spoke about his addiction, drug addiction and recovery at the Colorado Health Institute uh, event on Thursday. And you know, stigmatism kills people. And the only way that you can push back against it with, is courage. And Vic it lives in the public eye and he's willing to share the most difficult and embarrassing moments of his life. I'd take my hat off to him and wish there were more people in the world like Vic Vila. Here. Before we go tonight, I want to thank all of you who supported us on Colorado Gives Day. Thanks to your generous support, we had another great Colorado Gives Day. And if you're sitting there saying, shoot, I can't believe I missed Colorado Gives Day, oh, well, I have to wait till next year. You're in luck. Do not fret. You can still get in on all the fun. Just go to coloradogives.org. A few clicks and boom, you will make a key difference in Colorado. Thank you all for your support this year. For everyone here at CPT 12, I'm Dominic Dizzuti. Thank you very much for watching. Good night.